Bible, please, and open with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, just as you're turning there, um, I just want to remind you one more time about our Good Friday and Easter services coming up next weekend. And uh, Good Friday services start at 8.30 and 10 o'clock and 11.30. And then our Easter weekend services on Saturday starting at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And then our regular service times on Sunday morning at 9 and 11.15. And this is like my all-time favorite time of the year uh, because we get to come together as the family that Jesus has purchased with his blood and we get to celebrate that he in fact is alive and that we are alive in him. And so um, I've been struck kind of by the reality all over again, just as I've been praying over the past couple of weeks and as we're getting ready for next weekend and uh, that there are people that we come in contact with every single day who uh, need to hear and receive this good news. Like they need to know that God loves them so much that he sent Jesus to die for them so that the Holy Spirit could breathe new life into them. And so um, at the same time, Easter is a time of the year, maybe unlike any other time of the year, with the exception of Christmas perhaps, where people who don't normally come to church are open to coming to church. And in many cases, they're just waiting to be invited. So um, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for us that the Holy Spirit of God would fill us with this supernatural, unusual boldness to go to these people, to go to our friends and our family and our coworkers and whomever it is that we need to invite to Good Friday and Easter weekend services and that God would move in a powerful way to bring many people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So also on that, um, I'm really excited for the messages coming up on Good Friday and Easter weekend as well, uh, because we're going to keep right in step with our Looking to Jesus series through Good Friday and Easter weekend. So a bit of a spoiler alert here. Uh, today we're in Exodus chapter 3. On Good Friday, we're going to be opening the word to Exodus 12 and talking about the Passover. Kind of appropriate, I think, for Good Friday. And then on uh, Easter weekend, on Saturday and Sunday, we're going to be opening the word again to Exodus 14, where God's people cross the Red Sea. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, like, what exactly does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with the Israelites crossing the Red Sea? You just wait. Like, more, more than you know. And that's all I'm going to say about that for right now. Um, I just want you to know all that because I know that uh, many of you have been following along and you're looking to Jesus' worship guide as we've been going through this series and, um, and if that's you, I want you to come prepared on Friday and then on Saturday or Sunday for church as well. So can't wait for next weekend, but also super excited to be in Exodus chapter 3 tonight with you. So as we get into Exodus 3, I just want to begin with this very simple question. Do we understand the depth and the delight of what is happening right now? Like, Do we understand the depth and the delight of what we are doing right now. So for these 90 minutes that we set aside every weekend to be together, as we walk in these doors and sit in these semi-comfortable chairs and we sing these songs and we pray these prayers and, and we put money in the offering and then now we have our Bibles open in front of us, like do we feel the depth of what we're doing right now? Like, do we realize, really, for, for these 90 minutes that we have together, spiritually speaking, that there are things that are happening in your life, in my life, within this church right now. There are things that are happening that do not happen through the rest of the week, that do not happen through the course of the rest of your life because we're gathered here together as the family of God, as the body of Christ. Things are happening right now. So like, just put this into perspective for a minute. We are coming into the presence of the Almighty God. 
The creator of the universe, the one who hung every star perfectly in its place, the one who holds the universe perfectly by his power in a perfect balance all the time, the one who gives life and wakes every single one of us up every single morning, even though he doesn't have to, the one who holds the eternal destiny of every single person who has ever walked on the face of the planet within his hands. Like, do we understand the depth of what is happening in this moment right now? Now, it can be really easy for us to get lost in kind of the bigness of a question like that, so let me follow it up with this question. Do we understand the delight of what is happening right now? Do we understand the delight of what is happening right now, that for these 90 minutes that we set aside together to come together on a weekend and we walk into this room, sit in these semi-comfortable chairs, sing the songs, pray the prayers, put the money in the offering, now with our Bibles open in front of us, like, do we understand the delight of what is happening right now. That again, we're coming into the presence of this almighty God, the creator of the universe, who loves us with an everlasting love and proved that eternal love for us by giving his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place and then raised him to new life so that we could be raised to new life in him. Like, do we understand the delight that comes from what we are doing right now? Do we understand the delight of drawing close to this God who tells us that he is our refuge, that he's our hiding place, that he's our rock, our redeemer, our deliverer, all these things that we just sang, that he is our helper, that he is simultaneously the God who walks with us across a raging sea, and at the same time, he is the God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, and at the same time, he is the God who will walk us into the glory of his presence for all of eternity. Like, do we understand not just the depth of what we're doing right now, but do we understand the delight of what we are doing right now? And so maybe to help us answer that question, to help us answer those questions, we need to take even just a step back a little bit and maybe ask a bigger question, and it's a question that really sets the stage for every other question within our lives. Do we understand who God is? Like, do we understand who this God is, into whose presence we are coming right now that brings with it such depth and such delight? Do we understand who God is? This really is the most important question that there is because we live in a time where instead of realizing that we have been created in the image of God, that we can sometimes be a people who prefer to create God in our image. We want to be left to define God for ourselves like, I don't need someone to tell me who God is. I don't need someone to tell me how I need to respond to him. I don't need to have someone tell me that, that God is this or God is that because I have this God of my own making in my mind. And how often have we heard it said, I'll just do my relationship with God in whatever way that I feel comfortable with. And you can do your relationship with God in whatever way you feel comfortable with. And as long as we're not hurting each other, maybe we can meet in the middle. And what does it really matter? That's certainly a problem that we see in the world around us, but to be candid, it's also a problem that we see with Christians among us. Like sometimes, there are certain things about God that if we're honest, it makes us bristle, right? It just kind of makes us bristle, and we secretly hope that the person that we're witnessing to doesn't hear that part about God, at least not yet, because if they did, like that would just blow the whole thing right up. And it leaves us wondering how those parts of God can possibly come together with all of the other parts about who God is. And so we end up emphasizing the parts that we're comfortable with. 
Like his love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion. And at the same time, we try and soften the edges around the parts that are a little bit harder with God that we're not as comfortable with, like his justice and his sovereignty and his election and judgment and and all the stuff that he says about money and hell. And then before we even know it, we have this God that we've created in our own image that doesn't actually even resemble the true God at all. See, the real problem in all of this is not so much that we have an underinflated view of God, it's that we have an overinflated view of ourselves. And so what I'd like to do with you tonight, what what I'd like for us to do together as a family of God, as the body of Jesus, is just walk through this passage in Exodus 3 and just answer this one simple question, who is God? Who is this God into whose presence we are coming right now that creates such depth and such delight for us to be in his presence? Like on one simple level, that is such a simple question. Who is God? And yet, when you take some time to think about it on another level, this is a profoundly life-altering question. So I've been praying over the past few days that we will see how significant this question really is, that we will see that answering this question, who is God? actually answers all of the other questions within our lives. Like, how should I spend my money? What do I do with this relationship in my life? What sort of priorities should I have? How should I spend my time? Where should I go to school? How should I spend my summer? How will I invest my future? Like, when we answer this one question, who is God, all of these other questions begin to come into focus for us as well. So I'm reminded of uh, the famous quote from A.W. Tozer many years ago in his book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, an absolute classic that I would recommend every Christian read, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. In that book, Tozer starts by saying this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you hear the name God, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Like Tozer is absolutely right. This is the most important thing. And so as I consider this question, who is God? And then I read this quote by Tozer as a pastor and as a preacher of God's word. I need to tell you that I feel the weight of this. Because I so desperately want for every single one of us to be opening the word of God and seeing the God of this word in the right way. Like, not, I don't want you to see God in the way that I want you to see him. I want you to see God in the way that God wants you to see him. Because the last thing that I want is for any of us to get to the end of our lives and everything is now behind us and we're standing before the God of eternity like like your family's behind you, your job's behind you, your accomplishments are behind you, your reputation, like everything, all your possessions, everything is now behind you. You're standing in the presence of the God of eternity and I so desperately want every single one of us to get this right, not to be standing before God, only to be eternally shocked that for all the time that we spend in church, for all the sermons that we we heard for all the songs that we sang that we got this one question wrong. So if anything, let's give our time tonight and let's give our lives to getting this question right. Who is God? And that brings us to Exodus 3. So here's the main idea that we're going after today. God is high above us, 
And God is here among us, and God is to be honored amidst us. So this is not just simply our big idea. This is the outline that we're going to follow through this passage in Exodus 3. God is high above us. So that leads us to see the depth of what is happening here. And then God is here among us, and that leads us to see the delight of what is happening here in this moment right now. And then God is to be honored amidst us. That's our response to him. So God is high above us, God is here among us, and God is to be honored amidst us. And one of the commentaries I read this week is by a guy named uh, Tim Chester. He has an outstanding commentary on the book of Exodus. And uh, some of what we're going to see today as we make our way through this passage is because of how God used his work to help me understand this passage better. So um, I'm very indebted to him. So Exodus chapter 3. So follow along with me as I read, starting at verse 1 through to the end of the chapter. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and, and you will... Um, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that he will let you go. 
and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So the book of Exodus begins by telling us that Moses is born into the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt. We know a little bit about Moses' birth, but we don't really start learning much about Moses until we meet him here in chapter 3 when he's out in the wilderness tending the sheep. In fact, Acts chapter 7 tells us that Moses has been doing this for 40 years. And so now he's at this place called Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, which is where Moses would later receive the Ten Commandments from God. For now, though, he's out in the middle of nowhere doing a lowly job that nobody gives him credit for, which I think is a really important reminder for all of us. Like, just think about this for a minute. So between the end of Exodus chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3, 40 years have passed. 40 years. So in my Bible, much probably like it is in your Bible, there's no words, there's no letters, there's no sentences or paragraphs between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. It's just white space. And that white space represents 40 years, four decades of Moses' life. And yet, for those 40 years, he is serving God in the mundane, everyday things of his life. The point is this, do not waste the white space of your life. Don't waste the white space. Some of you feel, maybe even right now, like, like you're living through that wilderness. You're living right in the middle of that white space right now. Maybe you feel like Moses. You're walking through this wilderness season of your life, and it doesn't feel like you're accomplishing very much. You're, you're trying to stay faithful to the God in the mundane, and you're getting up, and you're doing the same things every day over and over and over again, and you're wondering if it's ever going to change. You're wondering how long it's going to be before God breaks into that white space and begins to write a new chapter in your life. But listen, don't underestimate the value of the white space. I mean, so often, how often do we hear people get towards the end of their life as they get older and, and they reflect on what their life has been and they wish that they would have slowed down a little more. They wish that they would have stopped and listened a little more carefully to what God was trying to say to them. Like eventually we all go through these wilderness seasons of our life, but what would it be like if we stopped trying so hard to fill the white space and realize that God never actually stops writing our story? Like nothing is wasted with God. So don't look down on what looks like the white space in your life because God often uses those times to get us ready to show more about who he is, which is exactly where we find Moses now in chapter 3 and verse 2. Look again at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So, our big question, who is God? Who is God? Who is this God into whose presence we are entering right now? So let's start here. Number one, God is high above us. God is high above us. One of the things that we see clearly in this passage is that there is a uniqueness about God that makes him different from us. So we call this transcendence. So God transcends everything that exists. But notice here in this passage, God is high above us, but he is both amazing and terrifying. He's amazing and terrifying. So when fire is used in the Bible to talk about God, it always represents his holiness. 
It's like God raining down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel to consume Elijah's sacrifice and show his power over the false gods of Baal. Fire always represents the purifying power of God. But think for a minute about the two-edged sword that fire is for us. Like, we're amazed by fire, right? Like, you build a big enough fire and people will come from miles around and just stand there and watch it burn, right? Like, if it's big enough and, and we're just absolutely amazed by it, but at the same time, we know enough to know that fire is not to be trifled with. Like, for as much as we're amazed by it, you don't mess with it, right? And this is such an astounding picture of God like God is amazing. He is breathtaking. He is unlike anyone or anything in the entire universe. And yet, at the same time, because God is holy, he is not to be trifled with. I mean, think about this. Moses walks up to this bush because he's amazed by it. So verse 3, he notices this bush off in the distance, and it's on fire, but it's not disintegrating. Like, the miracle here is not so much just that this bush was on fire. That's nothing really extraordinary. The miracle is that this bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. It wasn't disintegrating into this little ash heap. And furthermore, the, the next part of this miracle is that Moses then walks over to this bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up, and then this bush begins to talk. Like, that's a miracle. And then to add to the miracle, it's just not that this bush is on fire and doesn't burn up, but now it's talking. This bush actually knows Moses' name. Like, that's a miracle. And then, to add strange to the miracle, Moses starts talking back to the bush. Like, this is a strange experience right now. But Moses is so captivated by this. Verse 3 says, he changes direction. He changes the direction that he was going, so he turns aside. So he can see this thing that amazes him so much. And then as Moses gets closer to the bush, verse 5, God says, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Like, we got to see this. God's holiness is so astounding that it causes Moses to want to get closer. But God's holiness is so perfect and so pure that if he were to get any closer, he would be absolutely consumed by it. And while this is amazing, if we are understanding this properly, this should also be absolutely terrifying to us. Verse 6, God tells Moses who he is, and then the end of verse 6 says, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Like, this is an absolutely amazing picture. God is so high above us, and he is amazing, and he is terrifying. Like, do we see this? Do we feel the depth of what's happening right now in this moment as we walk in here, as we come into the presence of this God who is so high above us, so different from us. So listen to how the word of God describes God and, and try to let this sink in and, and show you just how amazing God truly is. Exodus 15. Moses is talking about how God parted the waters of the Red Sea. The people are singing a song of praise to the Lord for how he's delivered them from Pharaoh. Exodus 15, verse 10. He says, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. 
Like God is so high above us. He is so amazing. He is so powerful. He is so terrifying in his holiness. Psalm 71, verse 19. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Psalm 86, verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Psalm 113, verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? God is so high above us. I mean, if that's not enough, listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. And then a little bit further down in Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Like he is high above us. Its inhabitants are like the grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. And then Isaiah caps it off with this, Isaiah 40. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand this is the God who is high above us, and he is absolutely amazing and totally terrifying. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. Like just like you stand and watch a fire burn, and that fire consumes everything that you throw into it, and we marvel at that. So are we meant to stand and marvel at the absolute holiness of our God. Like His holiness is not a passive thing. We need to understand this. His holiness is not a passive thing that we can shape to our own liking. We have no room to come before God and say that, God, I'll do whatever you want with my possessions, but I'm going to do whatever I want with my purity. That, God, I'm going to do whatever I want with this part of my life, but, but you can have that part of my life. It doesn't work like that. His holiness is not a passive thing that we can shape to our own liking. We need to understand that God's holiness is at the core of who he is. God's holiness is what makes God God. He is absolutely awesome and totally terrifying. Like it did for most the of God, it has to cause us to turn aside and to see this great sight, see this holiness that is burning in our midst. We need to be careful that 
that we just don't turn aside a little part of our life and, and like just a little bit we turn toward God and, and just so that we can see what we want to see. This is a turning aside of our whole lives to be who God wants us to be. So we need to see that our marriages and our singleness and our parenting and our finances and our priorities and even what might be or what might not be happening within the white space of our life, we need to realize that as we draw near to this God who is so high above us, who is absolutely awesome and totally terrifying, that our whole lives are to be consumed by the flame of his holiness. God is high above us. He's amazing. He's terrifying. And if that's all that we ever saw of God, then we would be in terrible trouble. But that's not all that we see about God because God is high above us, but then we also see this. Number two, God is here among us. He is here among us, and this is what gives us such great hope. God is here among us, and he is seeking, and he is sending. So take a look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So just listen to this and take great comfort from the God who is here among us even right now. Like verse 7, he sees the afflictions of his people. Verse 7, he hears the cries because of our problems. Verse 7, he knows our sufferings. Verse 8, he comes down to deliver us and to bring us up. Verse 9, again, he hears the cries of his people and he sees our oppression. Like, I was just thinking this week as I was writing this message and about the kind of year that it's been for some of you within our church family. And there have been times where, where we have stood at the front after a service is over and we have prayed for God's provision. There are other times where we have stood beside a hospital bed and we have prayed for God's healing. And there are still other times where we have stood beside a graveside and we have prayed for God's compassion. And we pray to God because we believe that he is high above us and he can do anything that he wants and, and he will do anything that he wants. But for all of the ways that we read this passage here in Exodus 3 and we see that God is high above us, we can't keep reading this passage without also seeing that God is right here among us. And he loves us so much. We see a glimpse of that back in verse 4. God calls out and says, Moses, Moses. He calls out of the midst of this bush and God is calling Moses by his name. Like God knows his name. God knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He hears your cries. He sees your tears. He knows your problems. And God, in his grace, in his love, in his mercy and compassion, comes down and he delivers us. What we don't expect is what God says next. Four times in verses 10 through 15, God says to Moses, I'm going to send you as my representative and you're going to take this message of freedom to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And then Moses says, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh with a message like that? And notice what God says in verse 12. 
He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God. That can also be translated, you shall worship God. You shall serve God on this mountain. So just try and picture this conversation, okay? There's Moses standing there talking to a bush that's on fire. He's having this conversation. Moses feels totally inadequate, totally insufficient, and understandably so. He's been leading a flock of sheep through a desert for 40 years. And he says to the bush, who am I? He says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and do this? And God says, I'm going to be with you. Now, that's a strange reply, right? That's not a typical conversation, but for as strange as it sounds, it teaches us a really important lesson. Moses is trying to understand who he is and why God is asking him to do this. And God is saying to him, Moses, listen, the point is this. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is that I'm going to be with you. That's what matters. God is looking to him in the midst of this conversation, in this turning point in Moses' life, and he is saying to them, Moses, your identity is wrapped up in my identity. Who you are and what I am calling you to do is not wrapped up in who you are and what you think you're able to do. It's wrapped up in the reality, Moses, that I go with you. See, at the end of the day, what matters the most for you and for me is not who I am. What matters the most for me is not who I am. And what matters the most for you at the end of the day is not who you are. What matters the most is not who I am. What matters is whose I am. What matters for you is whose you are. See, we spend so much time, don't we? And our culture just keeps pounding this message into us over and over again. We spend so much time looking inside of ourselves to find our identity and to find our security, even to find our ability And God now comes and he blows all of that apart and he looks at Moses and says, listen, your security and your identity and even your ability does not come from whatever you might find within yourself. God says, it comes from me, the one who is promising now to go with you every single step of the way. But see, the thing about this is, we might know that these things are true already. Like, we know in our heads that it's true. We can know this positionally. We can know that our identity is in Christ and our security is in Christ and and even the ability that we have comes from Christ. We know that to be true. But what we need to know is why it matters. We need to know why that matters so that it makes a difference for us, not only positionally, but then it starts to make a difference for us practically, that every day as we live this out, we know that our security is from Christ. We know our identity is from Christ. We know that our ability is from Christ and why that matters. And we find the difference maker. We find the game changer in verse 13. So Moses says, so if the people come to me and say, what's the name of this God? What should I say? God says, verse 14, tell them, I am who I am. Just tell them, I am who I am. Now, we need to understand that when God answers like this, this is meant to totally explode our understanding, not just of who God is, but to explode all of our attempts to limit his identity and his ability. Because the way that this sentence And specifically, the way that this name is structured in the Hebrew, it's not confined to a particular instance in the past, present, or future that could somehow define exactly who God is. So let me unpack this for you a little bit. If we didn't know each other and and you were to come up to me and, and you were to say, who are you? 
I'd probably begin to rattle off a bunch of things about who I am and, and where I find my identity, where I find my security, where I find my ability, and all those things. I, I begin to rattle these things off. And so I say to you, well, I'm Kevin, and, and I'm a man, and I'm a Christian, and I'm a husband, and a father, and a pastor, and, and I would just rattle off all of these other things, my identity, my ability, my security, all of these other things. You would probably do the very same thing if I were to ask you that very same question. In other words, these things have happened to me in the past and in the present, and I hope some things will happen in the future, and part of what defines me is determined by what has happened to me. But now Moses and God are having this conversation, and God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he's not solely confined to any one particular instance or any group of things that have happened in the past or the present or the future. Instead, when God says, I am who I am, his name means all three of those things at the very same time. Past, present, future. So, track with me here, okay? He is the God of the past. In other words, I have always been whom I have always been. That's why in verse 6 he says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is the God of the past, but he's not only the God of the past, he's also the God of the present. He says, I am who I am. So God will liberate his people in the present by delivering them from their slavery. But he's not just the God of the past or the God of the present. He's also the God of the future. In other words, I will be who I will be. Not only will God draw his people out of slavery in the present, but he will also draw his people into the promised land in the future. In other words, this is the bottom line. He is not defined by the past, the present, or the future because he is the one who determines the past, the present, and the future. He is the one who is over all of it. And so when God says, I am who I am, he is saying to Moses, he is saying to us, I am not dependent on anyone else to define who I am or what I do. I am completely independent, God says, of everyone and everything else. God simply is. He is totally self-defining. He's not limited by anyone else. And so you got to see now what makes this so much more awesome is that generations later, Jesus would say that he is the great I am. John chapter 8. The Jews accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed, and, and Jesus says, if anyone believes in me, he's never going to die. And they're like, well, Abraham died. Are you saying that you're greater than Abraham? And Jesus looks back at these guys who have just said that he's demon-possessed, and he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And that blows our minds. This God who is high above us has now come to be here among us. Like Jesus is saying the very same thing to these Jews that God has said to Moses. Why? Because Jesus is this glorious God. Like our God has existed eternally in perfect holiness and purity. But like Moses, we couldn't be near him because of our sin. Like we're not worthy to draw any closer to God and the only way for that to change is if the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of Moses would make a way for that to change. 
And so this God who is high above us determined from before the beginning of time that he would also be the God who would be here among us. And in his grace, he has looked upon the affliction of his people and he has come down to deliver us from the slavery of our sins. The only way that the sinful people could be reconciled to a holy God is for someone else to come and do what we have clearly proven that we could not do. Someone had to come and offer their life as a perfect sacrifice because none of us could all to pay the price for our sins and to satisfy the justice and the holiness of this God who is high above us. Jesus came down and he did all of that for us. And then he rose again from the dead, all to draw us out of slavery to our sin and draw us into the ultimate promised land of eternal life with him. Listen, Jesus has made a way for us so that this God who once said to Moses, do not come any closer, now looks upon those who believe in his son and welcomes us to draw near to his throne of grace with confidence that we may find mercy and receive grace in our time of need. And he is the God, listen, he is the God who now sends us as his representatives with a message of freedom for all who will listen and receive that this God who is high above us has now come to be here among us. And if you will turn from your sins and trust in him, you too can be delivered from your sins and know this God. This is the glorious gospel of this God who is high above us and this God who is now here among us. Like, do you feel the depth and the delight of what is happening right now in this moment? Like, this is awesome. Like, we can't forget this. We cannot get so wrapped up in our own little world of stuff that we forget that there are people all around us who have no regard for this God who is high above us and have yet to respond to this God who is here among us. And God is sending us in all of our inadequacy with Good Friday and Easter only days away. He is sending us now to shine the light of this gospel into a dark world, not in the confidence of who we are, but with the assurance that he goes with us to tell them that he is the God who will draw near to them in their pain and suffering, but he is also the God who has come to them to save them from their sin and their rebellion. We can't forget this. And all this together leads to this one final response. God is high above us and he is awesome and terrifying. But God is also here among us and he is saving and sending. And then this, number three, God is to be honored amidst us. So God reinforces his promise to Moses to deliver the people. And he says, verse 18, they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. See, when God's people are confronted by God's power and God's presence, we worship him. We worship this God who is high above us and this God who is here among us. This God who has come down to deliver us is worthy of all of our worship God, who is high above us and here among us, must be honored amidst us. And so as a church family, we do that. We gather together every single weekend as the family of God, as the body of Jesus Christ. For these 90 minutes that we have together every weekend, we walk into this room and sit in these semi-comfortable chairs and we sing the songs and we pray the prayers and we put money in the offering and we have our Bibles open in front of us because we are in the presence of this God who is high above us and this God who is here among us and there is no greater purpose within our lives than to make sure that he is honored amidst us. Let's 
Let's pray.